Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom is Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hey, Mr. Frank, how are you doing? It's Bob Green. Hello, my name is John Franklin. Nice to talk to you guys. You too. Uh, I want to talk to you in reference to... Uh, Emery Conrad Malik. Emery Conrad Malik, uh, yes. That name rings a bell with you? Yes, it does. I wrote a book about it some time ago. Uh-huh. Now, do you want to uh, give us a, give us a little bit of your background, uh, what you do? In, okay. In, uh, uh, my historical background, my name's Guy Franklin. Uh, I did 20 years in the military and the Air Force, so... Uh, I um, was a crew chief. I worked on aircraft. Uh, after that, I got my degree, a couple of degrees, as they say. Then I uh, was an associate uh, historian at uh, Maxwell Air Force Base for the uh, Air University there at Maxwell for the Air Force. Uh, and that's why I got introduced to the Tuskegee Airmen, some of the Tuskegee Airmen information and a few other things. Uh, and from there, I worked at the Pentagon. I was a curator for the art program. Um, I was there for several years, and now I transitioned, got promoted. I'm a technical writer and uh, editor for the Air Force uh, Publishing Program. And okay. in the meantime, <laughs> I got started on this um, uh, project, the Malik pro- pro- uh, Project, because uh, an artist friend of mine asked me to write a book and as part of the book, um, I ran across that information about Malik on the Smithsonian website. And since it was on the Smithsonian website, I really didn't question it any. And I put it in the first book. And then I wrote another book a while later, and then I uh, did it like a rolling thunder uh, part of it. And I just started to question some of the things that I found on uh, Emory Malik because I looked a little bit closer. I went on Ancestry.com, and uh, other than the uh, photo, I couldn't find anything uh, about the gentleman that supported him being uh, the first black, first black anything, you know. So that's what got the uh, the uh, ball started and some of the uproar from uh, Miss Gross, who uh, initially said she found the, the photo of her uncle uh, Emery Malik in her uh, in her uh, attic, and uh, mm-hmm. since then her uh, cousins and, and uh, Malik's cousins, Amy Thomas, uh, contacted me and said, "Thank you, thank you, thank you for clearing this up." And uh, I've been quite busy ever since. <laughs> so, is that enough background? That's enough background. Now, what 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 is your take on it? Do you believe that what Mr. Is my, what was now? African? What What is your take on on whether or not he was African American or not? Do you well, believe that he was African American or not? 
my take, okay, uh, I uh, I write some controversial stuff. I, I admit to it. I've been called out on several things, and and I've been. But one of the things I've never been called is a lie. And I, I pride mm-hmm. myself on the uh, research that I do. Everything that I do, I can back up. You may disagree with it, but I can back it up, you know. And a lot mm-hmm. of what I've found is, you know, wise tale kind of sort of folks have, you know, heard this over the years that, you know, my daddy this, my daddy that, will come find out, you know, here's what actually happened, you know. And, 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 and Malik, to a certain extent, is like that, you know, Everyone, you know, since she found it in her attic, and she, I guess she's part of the Smithsonian some kind of way, that they just, oh, okay, well, you know, they take it as the word of God. And I'm sorry, it has to be peer-reviewed. It's just like when I put my books out there, it's out there for everyone to criticize, to correct, to uh, castigate, whatever. But it's out there for the review and comment on and if there's anything about my books that's incorrect, then I'll be more happy to correct it. You, you see what I'm saying? So in Ms. Gross's uh, part, uh, she finally, I'm not talking about her personally, but I, and, I, and I'll say this again, I cannot find anything to support Emery Mallet being a black man uh, to, the, to uh, the census when he was born, to uh, his pictures of his parents, to his death certificate, to his draft, World War One draft certificate, to his World War Two draft certificate, to his cousins, who, who, who you know, I cannot find it. To uh, even to his uh, fraternal organizations that he grew, that he uh, attended, uh, the Odd Fellows, I cannot find anything that supports him being a black man. Now, now could you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about the Odd Fellows? Is that an African American or? Well, the, the Odd Fellows. I did some research on that. The Odd Fellows. It, it's kind of like the. Uh, you ever heard of like the the Masons and the Black Masons? Correct. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, the Odd Fellows is very similar. Uh-huh. And I found a photo of the uh, Odd Fellows that he said that uh, this Emery Malik that she says was a member of, and there's nobody black in the photo, and uh, there's also a Black Odd Fellows uh, group. They're separate right. from the Oddfellows group. And I couldn't find anything to where he was a member of the Black Oddfellows. He was uh-huh. a part of the Pennsylvania Oddfellows, which was white. Uh-huh. Now, are you familiar with passing? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm very familiar with, with, with the paper bag test and, and all the above. Okay. However... However, I cannot find anywhere in his lineage that there's anyone black. Okay. What did the birth certificate say? The death certificate. Now there's no there's no the death certificate says uh he was white. Everything says he was white. Okay, Ex- except for the photo. And I have some questions about the photo. Cuz see to me the actual photo that she presented looks too good to be a photo of the period, because if you look at the photo that she presents, the, uh, listen very carefully, the depth of field is too good for a photo of that time frame. A digital now, photo... Would you say, not to cut, 
the the equipment at the time was not good enough to see, you know, like a like a digital photo. Now you can see it in the background real good as you can see it in the front real good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, more about your background as far as um, being a curator at the Pentagon. How does someone become a curator at the Pentagon? <laughs> well, uh, while I was there at Maxwell, I was an associate historian at Maxwell Air Force Base. And one of my side jobs being the lone man on the totem pole was to take care of the, take care of the paintings. The Air Force has, at the time, uh, a little bit over 10,000 paintings in, in the program. And Maxwell had like 500 paintings or something. And it was my job to keep track of them and <clears throat> take care of them, so on and so forth. And uh, I was inspected by the inspector general, and I was the only one in the Air Force that got like an outstanding for their art program. So there was a job that came open up here in D.C., I was like, hey, and I was, I needed a promotion at the time. <laughs> so I was like, hey, man, you got any jobs for me? And he said, yeah. And so I came up here, and I spent six or seven years as a curator. Okay. And, the, and and I went all over the world looking at paintings. Went to Germany, England, you, you name it. I went all over the world inspecting paintings and keeping track of them. So that was a fun job. Okay. And now tell us a little bit more about the different books. You've written um, several books. Uh, yes. Tell us about, this is a controversial subject. What other books have you written that has caused controversy? Uh, not, quite as, not quite as much as this one, but uh, a little off. Uh, I, had, uh, I give these little speeches, this, that, and other, and, and one of the things that uh, – <laughs> people like to confront me with when I'm giving my speeches is why did Tuskegee Airmen paint the tails red? And there's been all kind of myths and whatever about, you know, why the, like one of the ones that came up, the lady said, well, my daddy told me that they had a bunch of red paint and they so-and-so and so-and-so. I said, well, no, that's not quite correct. And what, what actually happened was the uh, field commander decided who was going to get what tail color and this, that, and other. And, Tuskegee Airmen happened to get red. Oh, okay. Because you can't imagine, like, you know, just being out there in the, in the middle of Europe and said, well, I want red. And, no, you have to coordinate it so everybody knows what you got, this, that, and other. Another one, a uh, little s- small one was the, the gentleman, um, it was when was the uh, phrase Tuskegee Airmen first used? And... Um, I found, and he said, oh, no, it was in 1957 in Jet Magazine, 55, 55, 57, whatever, in Jet Magazine, and so on and so on. I said, no, it came out early. So I sent him the, the, the actual, it was, came in the uh, Pittsburgh Curry, I want to say it was. <clears throat> and it said, uh, these Tuskegee Airmen first came out in like 1943 when the phrase was first used. Just little stuff, not, nothing major, not, nothing real major. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is one of the most popular books that you've written? Oh, I got a couple that's pretty popular. One I'll take great pride in, in uh, on Hubert uh, Fauntleroy Julian. He was quite the character, <laughs> say the least. And another one, and I think because she's most well known, is the one on Bessie Coleman. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's more. Mm-hmm. I think it's more because uh, she's uh, more well known than uh, most most others. I take great pride in both. I, and there's another one I wrote. doesn't have necessarily anything to do with aviation. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, 
I was approached by um, this group of uh, Japanese who, uh, during World War II, uh, when they were interned, they lost their stuff. You know, they came in and they, they took all their personal belongings, this, that, and other. And there was a thing they thought that uh, their stuff was in this great big, huge warehouse like in uh, uh, Indiana Jones, you know, it, it was put away like the um, – and anyway, long story short, I ended up doing a whole book on uh, Japanese-American history. Oh, okay. But those are my three most popular ones, I'd say. I'm a long way from buying a house with them, but I take great pride in them. Okay, tell us a little bit more about um, Hubert. I never heard of him, but I'm ready to learn. Oh yeah, see, that, that's the, that's one of the things I, I do when I give my little speeches. I make it a great point to say, you know, black aviation, African American aviation, whatever you want to call it, started a long time before the Tuskegee Airmen. The first, I'm getting to Hubert, but the first black man to go aloft, um, and 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 guy where he was the pilot, a guided flight was in 18. 18- 75, a guy named George Washington, he went aloft in a, in, a, in a balloon. Okay, now the first one to go aloft that I could find was in 1865 in, in, in Siam, what's now Thailand. They sent a slave up in a balloon as a, you know, as a spectacle, and the balloon got loose, and nobody had seen what happened to him after that. But going forward several years, Hubert Pomeroy Jr., he came from the islands, and um, he was a showman. He was a con man. He was brave. He was he was bigger than life. His whole life, he was bigger than life. You ever heard of? Um, and he and he was out of Harlem. You ever heard of the the, the gangster called Bumpy in Harlem? Yes. Okay. This is how braggadocious, how bigger than life he was. He was in a uh, cafe with uh, Bumpy, and Hubert had been bad-mouthing this other gentleman, and Bumpy came in to have a sit-down with him to say, hey, cut it out. Don't do this, that, and other, right? Well, Julian is going to jump up and get in Bumpy's face and put a fight, and he lived to talk about it. Wow. Yeah, he lived to talk about it. Well, I'll give you real quick. He, uh, Julian, uh, he came over in the late 1800s, uh, not late 1800s, but the, the late 1918, 1917, just right after the war, to Harlem from the islands. He came via Canada. And one of the things he did, he said, well, I was, a, uh, I was trained by the great Canadian fighter pilot, and I, I, and I you know, and he, came, and he wore this um, Canadian uh, outfit, you know, like military outfit, like he was this great pilot. And he had never flown air, aircraft before in his life. But he took his, a great photo with him in the, in the aircraft, you know, and he had everybody thinking he was a pilot. Now, what he did do, uh, he became part of uh, Garvey Air Force. It was him and another gentleman. Uh, Mark, Marcus Garvey? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's part of Garvey's Air I think it's Garvey. Yeah, Garvey's Air Force. And, um, uh, one of the stunts that he did, he he jumped out of an aircraft in a red devil suit in the middle of Harlem, and 
and he was arrested as soon as he landed. He did it as a stunt. Uh, for, I think it was a furniture uh, company. But, uh, yeah, and then one of his things that he did, he finally learned how to fly a little bit. He could do, like, up and down, up and down. He never was a, a, a real pilot. Most he ever got was a student pilot license. But uh, one of the things he did, and this was before the Internet, before radio, before all that, what he would do, he would fly from town to town in his aircraft, saying he's going to make his big flight uh, to Africa, he's going to make his big flight to Europe. Uh, and this is uh, just before uh, Lindbergh. So, yeah, and, and then blacks were looking for a hero. So all the churches would gather up, and, he'd get, and they'd gather up money to so send him to, to Africa or the islands or whatever so he can make this huge flight. And he and he he conned like that for years, and then the, finally he was going to take off on the water for for some place. I think it was in Europe. I'm not sure. Uh, and um, the FBI got a hold of him, and he said, "You better take off, or we're going to put you in jail." <laughs> so he'd never flown a watercraft before. Before, so he took off out of New York and crashed in the, in the, in, the, in the bay, and they they, they got him out. Uh, another time uh, in the 30s, he and he was uh, he was, uh, he, uh, was seen his advertisements, I should say, was seen by uh, one of High, Highly Selassie's uh, personages, and he was over here, and the, the Italians were about to attack this that another, and he didn't know any better, so he saw this great black pilot that he thought this that another, so he invited Hubert Julian over to. Ethiopia, and they made him a, a colonel, and um, he was telling everybody he was head of the Ethiopian Army, Ethiopian Air Forces, that another. He wasn't, but that's what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that he did when he was in Ethiopia, okay, he, he was supposed to be training them and this, that, and other. One of the things he did in Ethiopia, Haile Selassie had this plane that he said, that was his pride and joy, his beautiful white and gold aircraft. That was highly Selassie personal aircraft. And he told Julian personally, whatever you do, do not touch my aircraft. Well, there you go. So what happened, <laughs> there was this um, meeting, that uh, the show that the Selassie had over there, and he had um, people from all over the world this great big, you know, pass and review thing. He had American dignitaries, European dignitaries, all from all over the world. And what does uh, Julian do? Julian going to show off, and he hops in Haile Selassie's plane, takes off, and some kind of way he finds the only tree in, in Ethiopia and crashes into it right in front of Haile Selassie. <laughs> uh-huh. So, make a long story short, he was on the next train out of there, heading back to America. Well, so, just like the Holly Selassie story, could you tell the audience um, the significance um, as far as World War One, World War Two, about Holly Selassie and uh, Ethiopia? Okay, Ethiopia, the Italian army uh, was a uh, was not all that good of an army. However, the Ethiopians were were even worse off because they had no weapons to, 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 
to uh, the, to speak of. The Europeans wouldn't support them. Uh, and so what happened, they had volunteers to go over there, and it was, it was two. He went over there twice. Um, the first time, when I think, was in 33, something like that. There was a minor insurgency. Uh, that it, there was a scuffle that set up, and then the, the major one uh, was in '35. There was two of them, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Julian went over the first time uh, to teach him how to fly. This that another, and uh, <clears throat> so. But uh, the Italians uh, invaded Italy. I mean, the Italians invaded Ethiopia. Excuse me. And uh, Haile Selassie, what, his name wasn't Haile Selassie, it was something else. I can't think of it at the name. Haile Selassie was his uh, appointed name. Okay. Now, the significance of Ethiopia, isn't it the, the only country, African country that was not invaded or was not colonized? Uh, yes. Yes. To my knowledge, yes. And Haile Selassie, Italy sure enough tried. Uh, it, was sure tried and, and, and it got so bad. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought it got so Libya. bad that, um, that when Italy invaded the second time, uh, they invited uh, Hubert Julian back again. Okay, and they also invited uh, some more folks over from the Chicago Aero Club, who were actually real pilots and really knew what to do. One of them was the brown gentleman that they nicknamed the Brown Condor. Uh, and he was he was an excellent uh pilot. He was he was on top of his game. And um <clears throat> they also had uh, possibly the first black female American female uh pilot to fight in the war uh during that time frame. And of remember course, her name? I can't I've been looking and looking, I cannot find her name. Is it between a black female American pilot? <clears throat> I found it in this um uh, in one of the Chicago, black Chicago papers, and they had a photo of, uh, and they said this was from the, the group was from the Chicago group, and I got it narrowed down between her and Ethiopia, a black female Ethiopian pilot, and uh, I cannot say for sure what her name is, but I have a, I have a photo of her, and I think I know who, who she is, but I don't want to say it was definitely so-and-so or so-and-so until I narrow it down. I've been reaching out to the family, and they had not got back to me. And give us the name of the, the uh, Chicago uh, Air. Uh, it, was the Chica- it was the. Um, they flew out of the Harlem. Oh God, the uh, the, the Chicago group. Uh, they flew out of the Harlem. Um, airport. There's, what's that? Was it the Harlem Hellfighters? No, no, no. That was the Harlem Hellfighters. That was a group. Uh, that was an army group that that was actually out of Harlem, and which Julian was a uh, member of. As a matter of fact, he joined the Harlem Hellfighters, after the war to get a check, to get a check. He was, he, he left the Harlem Hellfighters over Ethiopia, as a matter of fact, but, uh, I'll I'll get back. What about the Lincoln Brigade? Was the Lincoln Brigade? No, no, this this wasn't a military group. This was a, um, this was a, a, a private club and, uh, several, a, Okay, so we will look it up. That, yeah, that, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember it off the top of my head. Here we well, go. Let me look at this. Okay. okay. Right. Who? This is who I think it is. Uh, I think it, it, one of the possibilities is uh, Dorothy Ernie's Tate, uh, the black female pilot. 
Okay. And and the Brown Condor's name was John C. Robinson. John John, John Robinson. C. Right. Robinson. Okay. Of the, um, I will. The club, and I'll put them on the Blog Talk Radio show, and um, we'll take it from there. So just give us okay. a, a rundown of your, the name of your books. All right. So we try to See. balance the history on this show to try to celebrate our victories and not so much our misery. So yeah. I'm always going to try to draw from you something positive about black history. Um, do you have anything to leave on a high note? Well, one of the things on, on the high note, you had several uh, gentlemen that, that came out of that right there, black gentlemen, like I said, Coleman Young, uh, several several black uh, folks that, the NAACP, uh, Mrs. Roosevelt, she, uh, as soon as her husband died, he, she uh, became a leading member of the NAACP. The, uh, there were several positive things that came from that. Matter of fact, I think one of the most positive things that came from, from not that era, but was the 1920s, was the Garvey era. What that did, that started the whole black power movement. That started the whole you know, nothing's wrong with being black. Move, you know, uh, uh-huh. that's to me, you know, because of the, uh, you could say the Harlem Hellfighters, when they came back with that big parade, that 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 instilled uh, the whole, you could say the Harlem Renaissance. Okay. You know? So how, and how was, are they connected to Garvey? How is the Harlem Hellfighters connected to Garvey? Because it was this thing of, they were part of the um, the not back to Africa movement, but uh, there was the, oh what was that Garvey was a part of he co-opted the movement, but but what UNAI. it was it was a what's that U N I A United Negro uh, uh, Oh, I'm trying to say it'll come to me, but anyway, it was, it was uh, Pan Africanism Pan African movement Pan African movement Thank you Yes. The Pan-African movement was before Garvey, but Garvey co-opted the Pan-African movement, and that fed into the Pan-African movement, the the Harlem Hellfighters, because that was the first time, to my knowledge, the first time that a a large group of black men stood tall, stood together, and were proud of what they did, proud of being black, and it was okay to be black. You know, you didn't have to hang your head after that being black. And that spread into the poetry, the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the Pan African movement, and I think Garvey took took advantage of that that movement, and and it just kind of blew up after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the movement started by Richard Allen in the seventeen the early seventeen hundreds with the African Methodists? My name is Ty Gray L, and it will be my pleasure to host the Just the Freedom Show for you this evening. As you may or may not know, my work is focused on raising the levels of consciousness of all people with a particular interest on uplifting the minds and saving the souls of black folk. I sincerely believe that we will all do better if we remember the spirit and courage of our ancestors and what they had to endure in order for us to be listening to this show tonight. It is with our ancestors in mind, with their indomitable spirits, unquestionable strength, and impeccable character that I take pride in hosting the gist of fruit.
This book is continued at this point on the other side of this cassette. Please reverse or turn the cassette over now.